Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In 2003, I was an eager second-year law student at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and I was excited to finally get a job clerking for real lawyers and see real lawyer work happen. And so I had this job in a small firm in Utah, Alabama, a little two-man shop that handled everything from speeding tickets to you know, million-dollar civil injury lawsuits. And I would drive down there several times a week and work for these lawyers. And one of them was an older gentleman. And while in 2003 we were using email to communicate, if you were a lawyer of a particular generation, particularly a lawyer in a small town, you still did a lot of communication by written letters. And this particular lawyer would sit in his office, often with his feet kind of propped up on his desk with a microphone end of a dictaphone dictating letters for his assistant to then type and send out. Now, you may or may not know this about lawyers, but we can be a bit hot-tempered, particularly when we know for sure that we are right and somebody else is wrong. So at times, I would hear this lawyer in his office dictating loudly and angrily and sometimes pacing back and forth in the small space that the cord would let him go, a letter, and then you would hear this pause after all of these harsh words, and he would whisper into the microphone to his assistant a note that said, don't send this letter just yet, bring it to me to read. Now, I asked him about this one day, and this lawyer explained to me that you should never send a letter when you are so absolutely convinced that you are right and are angry about something. You had to be careful that your rightness was actually right and that how you communicated that rightness didn't just make things worse. It might feel good in the moment to use angry and harsh words, but at the end of the day, it might not prove your point. The luxury of this wait and send it later approach was not available to poor James and John as they were traveling with Jesus. The reading from the Gospel of Luke is literally a pivotal moment in the Gospel. This is when Jesus turns from his journeys throughout Galilee towards Jerusalem. It begins with, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we know that he set his face to go to Jerusalem to die. He sends his disciples out ahead of them to make arrangements for places to stay and food to eat and to proclaim the kingdom of God coming near. And so when James and John are dismissed by a village of Samaritans, they certainly know that they are right. They are right because they are following Jesus. And in their rightness and anger, they want to command the fire from heaven to come down and consume the people that are wrong. 
I have to confess that I've wanted to do the same thing from time to time. But Jesus doesn't just tell them no, he rebukes them. It's a harsh reply. It ends any further discussion of what their plans are for the Samaritans and how they should be treated in their wrongness. This travel narrative that begins in this passage in the Gospel of Luke is going to go on for some nine and a half chapters. And it all occurs and we're reminded throughout it that Jesus' face is set on Jerusalem. That Jesus must go to Jerusalem to be crucified. And so the teachings that follow about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus occur in the shadow of the cross. Now the next passage we get this morning seems rather harsh. Of course folks want to bury their parents and the law requires you to do so. Or they want to say farewell to their home, not just bye folks, see you later, but make arrangements to be away for a long while. And there is nothing wrong with that. And I don't think Jesus is really telling us to not bury those that we love that pass away or not to take care of our home. But he is telling us that to follow him means that we must do so without any conditions. We must do so without asking for a guaranteed place to sleep. We must do so without the comfort of long-held traditions telling us what our next decision should be. And we must do so without hedging our bets to make sure that something better doesn't come along that we would choose to follow. Following Jesus isn't about being right and punishing those that are wrong, but is instead about a willingness to be vulnerable and to follow the one of God to Jerusalem who loves the world to the point of death, death on the cross and beyond. Now, we are an Easter people, And so when we read these scriptures or we consider what discipleship means, we too stand in the shadow of the cross, but on the other side of the grave and in light of the resurrection. We live in a new reality where God's love is already transforming the world. And it's in this new reality that Paul, in Galatians, writes the wonderful line, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm. And just as James and John were surprised to find out being right didn't mean destroying those who are wrong, Paul surprises his audience and maybe us by explaining that being free doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do. Freedom isn't about self-indulgence, doing, saying, or getting what we want. Paul says freedom in Christ is about being made slaves to one another. It means keeping the commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To live in the freedom that Christ offers means that you still have responsibilities to your community, to your family, to those you love, and to the strangers in this world. To live in the freedom of Christ 
means that you still have the responsibilities that the prophets preached about in old of seeking God's justice in this world. Justice for our neighbors, the stranger, the poor, the widow, the orphans, the outcasts. Luke, particularly when we read in Luke about loving your neighbor, we must remember the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus teaches us that God's definition of neighbor is pretty big and that we should be really careful about saying who is not our neighbor. To not do this, to not live in a freedom governed by loving your neighbor is to live only for ourselves and denies the freedom that Christ gave us through the cross. It also means that we deny the gift of the Holy Spirit that we celebrated just a few Sundays ago at the coming of Pentecost. If we live in selfishness and meanness, we not only hurt ourselves and deny the call that Christ gives us, but Paul tells us that we'll just end up biting and devouring one another, consuming each other until there's nothing left. We'll destroy the community that God has brought into existence. So how do we know that we're living the way we're supposed to live? How do we know that we're living in the shadow of the cross, in the light of the resurrection, in Christ's freedom that has been given to us? What do we look for? And Paul gives us a great list, a good judge to consider as we decide our actions. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In this day and age when our communications travel at the speed of light, oh, how we need some of the fruits of the Spirit. So much of our news and public discourse is about who is right and who is wrong and what should be done to those that are wrong so that they know that they're wrong. It's important to remember that as followers of Jesus, that is not our story or the life that we are called to live. While we are free in Christ, we are given that freedom so that we can speak God's truth and justice and grace into this world and not contribute to the devouring of our brothers and sisters with words of anger and division and self-righteousness. So maybe we should take a lesson from that lawyer I worked for so long ago, and that if we are angry, and especially if we are so convinced that we are right and somebody else is wrong, we should take a moment to keep our mouths shut and our fingers off the keyboard and reflect to make sure that what we speak and say and do reflects God's truth and justice and that it displays the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that we don't speak and name something wrong when we see it, but it does mean that we do so in making sure that we are speaking about God's righteousness and justice and not our own. And perhaps instead of being quick to judge and quick to critique and criticize, we should instead be quick to take on the responsibilities of living in the freedom of Christ 
of taking care of each other and letting our lives and words show the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In this ever-increasing speed of our world, in this noise that we have, I think it is helpful to remember the words of a Swiss poet and philosopher, Henri Frédéric Emile. Life is short. We have never too much time for gladdening the hearts of those who are traveling the dark journey with us. Oh, be swift to love. Make haste to be kind. Amen.